Well, hey, welcome to Opening the Box of Knowledge. I'm Chakya Ish, Richard Peterson. Uh, this episode is a special episode in that this month is National Recovery Month. And I've really committed that uh, Opening the Box of Knowledge is going to be a conversational show that uplifts and spotlights people. And one of the things that we really need to address is some of the... Um, darker issues in our lives and you know addiction is one of those uh but there's light to be shown on that and that's recovery and so i I really want to be mindful that some of this can be triggering this is a very honest conversation with jenny brown and dave evenson and myself all three of us have uh, gone through recovery and have dealt with addiction and we're very honest about it. And, you know, sometimes the truth is, can be ugly. You know, Sam, you're our engineer, you sat here, uh, Kachung is uh, traveling this week. And so we're kind of home alone doing this podcast. You know, this was a pretty special interview and I know it impacted you you were kind of saying you had you, your own issues around, uh, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, this this was just such a rock star cast of indigenous rock stars that we had once again. And, you know, they're talking about holding each other up, big theme of this episode. And, you know, we've all messed around as kids and got in trouble. I did that. And one of the big things that spoke to me about this one was, you know, if you've made it back to the top of, of feeling good about yourself is to reach back down and, and pull that friend or that so maybe they're not a friend but pull them back up with you and support them so that one really spoke to me um, that's awesome that that's really the hope of this episode as with all of our episodes is let's hold each other up and so I do want to warn our listening audience you know some of this might be triggering you know, uh, recovery is a tough road, but one, I think when you put the light on it and, and you can celebrate those successes, you know, it, it's achievable and that's what we want to share. I'm very honest about myself and where I'm at. And, you know, sometimes folks might not like that. And I, I'm just going to ask that you hold some grace for people going through recovery um and we hope you enjoyed this episode i i really did and you know in the notes we're going to share some contacts you know hotlines resources exactly those resources because you know sam you said it so well when you've kind of gotten out of those situations it's an obligation to reach back and hold each other up pull each other up and there's help out there and recovery is not only possible if you reach out it it's achievable absolutely so, so thank you everybody and please enjoy the episode welcome back to opening the box of knowledge i'm chakya ish uh, richard peterson and this month is national recovery month and this is something that's really close and near and dear to my heart something i have with lived experience and you know want to share the stories of recovery and you know it's not always a pretty picture but recovery is possible and i think so many of our people have worked so hard to 
kind of go through the the journey of addiction of you know abuse trauma and you know recovery really is possible and so today i have with me a couple of people who really inspire me who i've been kind of peripherally just watching from the outside a little bit and seeing their journey and just want to um celebrate them and hold them up and let them tell their story and what that means because i think so many of our our own people punket haida indigenous people gosh uh, addiction and all the things that are be trauma based are really wrapped in shame and i kind of want to be a person who helps lift the shame and and say you know what we uh are a people of love and we need to celebrate that love I always say, you know, I'm the proudest uh, person in the world. I talk about being from the village. It's my pride. We come from the most beautiful people on this planet. Our culture ex exemplifies what it means, reciprocity, holding each other up. But through colonization, through the traumas that have happened, we tend to hold ourselves down. We're our own worst critics. And rather than hold each other up and live by our values we've kind of adopted this idea of pointing the finger spreading more toxicity and when people try to get better we don't celebrate that so long long speech i know but i really want to hear from our friends here today and uh with me today is dave evenson and jenny brown and maybe real quickly, Jenny, you guys can introduce yourselves and we'll get right into the conversation. Okay. My name is Jenny Brown and I am Duck Tan from Huna. I am the daughter of Greg Brown Sr. and Judy Mills. And my I my dad is a Takewiti, so I'm Takewiti Yeti, and my grandparents are Wushkitan, the Mushkitan Dutchkan. I am the community and family engagement specialist with the Community and Behavioral Services Department. And I've been with the tribe probably a little over three and a half years. My name is David Evenson, and uh, I'm a person in long-term recovery. Uh, for me, what that looks like is I have been, I have not had any mind-altering substance since seven, uh, July 7th, 2017. My clicket name is Khatbiragal, which means uh, the measure of a man which is, uh, I got a nice little story about that. Um, <clears throat> uh, I was trying to find out the uh, meaning of my name and uh, I ran into a, an elder um, who was Anna Katzik before she passed away. And she told me that it was important that if I heard this name, that, that, I, was, that I was obligated to live up to it. So uh, I didn't mean it that at the time, you know, because I was still doing drugs. Uh, I was still drinking uh, excessive amount, but uh, um, I, I did tell her I, I would, you know, try to live up to it. And uh, then she uh, she translated translated uh, the uh, name to me, and so I'm happy to say right now that that I am living up to it. Uh, you know that that I feel like I am uh, making a contribution to society rather than being, you know, that rascal that I was, <laughs> you know, going around and, you know, screwing stuff up. Um, so um, 
I, I work for the tribe as well. I work for uh, Lincoln and Ohio's uh, reentry recovery program as a peer support specialist. I, I help people who are coming out of the prisons or um, uh, re the rehabilitation centers and just trying to get them on their feet, you know, get them resources, uh, guide them. I like to think of myself as a guide, uh, as a person who has lived experience, who's been there, done that, can't pull the wool over my eyes. Uh, but I got you covered if you're if you're if you're looking to get on the right track, then uh, I've done this and I could show you what I did. And so that's where I come from. Man, I, I really love it. I, I think about, you know, that lived experience is something I want to talk about. Also, you know, accountability. One of the things that is really exciting to me about both of you is through your recovery, you've really um start helping other people, right? Um, I think that's a cultural value, but I don't want to speak for others. I think uh, your journey is your own, your story is your own. What What's driving you right now in, in your recovery? My recovery is what drives me in mine is the culture, to learn stuff that I've learned, that I grew up around and implementing that and figuring out what the balance is between a cultural situation and a Western situation and try to find the middle. And being of a person in long-term recovery myself, I'm five years clean of opiates, of prescription medication, right heroin and morphine and um, Dilaudid, just a bunch of prescription medication. And I spent 13 years in and out of Lemon Creek Correctional Center. Like, I always like to say it's DOC, but it really was Lemon Creek. Like, I didn't get transferred anywhere. Right. And so what saves me all the time is that I think about those 13 years that I was in and out of jail and in and out of the halfway house. And I see the system in there and I see our people in there. And I don't like to think that that's where we grew up and that's what we came to. So I always want to try to pull all the people out of that dark place and be more of a, a positive person because I don't want to be a person that's at the top of something and stand there myself. I'm going to reach back and extend my arm and pull people with me because as we all know, you know what I mean? There's power in numbers. And so the more power we can get people sober, the more we can get the word out there and save other people. <clears throat> Mine is very much the same way. Um, I have uh, a deep passion to be able to help others. And my roots came from, uh, my, my recovery roots, I should say, uh, came from AA. And, uh, uh, you know, the motto there is one drunk helping another drunk stay sober. And that's what got me sober. That's what saved my life. And um, I'm, I'm just so incredibly happy to have the job that I do because that's sort of a double whammy, you know, it's incredible to sit around and it's, it's a privilege to sit down and listen to some of these people's lives uh, who come at you in a really honest and, and, and sometimes disturbing way. But I get to take all that in and I get to tell them how I did what I did when, when I encountered the problems that I did. And uh, um, so when I get up every morning, uh uh during 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 the week work week or even you know during the uh during the weekend when i'm you know uh, working with my sponsees 
um, I, I, I think about the day ahead and what I what kind of value I'd like to bring into that into that day. Uh, you know, I, I do my prayer and I ask for guidance and um, uh, and and to be able to incorporate all these things, you know, my culture, my uh, my experience, my experience, strength and hope. And, and to be able to see the smile that comes on their face when they get it. Oh my goodness, what an incredible experience. And so that's that's what drives me. Man, you two are just giving me um so much right now. I'm gonna get emotional. Um it's funny and when you, you go through recovery, I, I, I didn't go to treatment, but I went to I, I did I you know counseling and um, I'm very thankful for our um, tribal health care system, you know, because I was able to do the outpatient counseling. And I did that. And, you know, I think about what drives me and I talk about this a lot. Um, and it was almost word for word what you said, you know, both of you. So I learned like my counselor said, you know, what motivates you? And I talk about it and I talk about our culture and, and our tribal values and how I want to draw my strength from those. And so my counselor helped me develop kind of my system and my mantra every day. So I literally wake up, I think about our tribal values as kind of the measuring stick for me. How did I do the day before? Uh, some days I did really good and some days not so good, right? And so I think about that and I'm like, how am I going to do better today? How am I going to hold each other up? How am I going to use humor? How am I going to use all of these values that are ingrained in us culturally? And in my recovery, uh, I always throw back to Stan Marsden, who was a Simpson elder, and he carved the healing heart totem poles and he lost his son through an overdose and how he got through it, how he healed his heart was a culture, right? And so I did that. And that's why I think culture heals. So when I hear Jenny talk about that and you, Dave, it resonates with me because our culture heals. And um, that's where I turned and really was held up. And I, I was so blessed because I see so many people going through addiction and people pointing at them, condemning them, really just um, spreading that toxicity. And I think about uh, one of our elder friends, Cheryl Fairbanks, and she always says, be hard on the issue, not the person. And that's our tribal value in action, right? That's mm -hmm. our culture. You know, I'm all about accountability and as Dave, you were talking about they can't pull the wool over your eyes. I can spot an addict a mile away. And, you know, and I just tell them honestly, okay, you know, they're feeding me their line of BS about, oh, you know, all the things going on. They're like, so right now you're high. I can see it. I'm not condemning you. I'm not judging you. I'm here for you. But when you're lying, you're just stalling out. Like there's no moving forward in the lie. And I think I, I'm pretty harsh that way, uh, you know, that accountability piece. Like, I'm going to hold you up, but I'm going to hold you accountable. And that's how I got through it. 
you know, and it, not everything works. You know, it's not a cookie cutter for everybody. And, well, and people need to hear that. You know, I heard a saying once uh, that came from Albert Einstein. You cannot solve a problem at the same level of thinking you were at when you created it. Right. 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 And that that is so, so true. Uh, if we stay in our disease, uh, we're going to do nothing but betray that same problem over and over and over. Uh, we we got to transcend. And what, what do we do when we transcend? You know, we find a higher purpose. We find a higher power, you know, that we can, that, that we can uh, uh, see guiding us through, you know, through our daily lives and stuff. And that could be the culture for some. For others, it could be, you know, a, a spiritual guidance. Of, and, and it doesn't matter what, what that is. It's just that you do get it. And it's so important. So important. Yeah, you know, I think our culture is just everything, right? It's all encompassing. For some, it's it's the language. Some it might be the art. Some it's the song and the dance, mm-hmm. storytelling, spirituality. But our our culture isn't just a thing. It's who we are, right? Right. So reach out to whatever it is that motivates you. Whether, hey, if it's carving or drawing or beating or whatever, do that. If it's language, do it. But our culture does heal. I always think of what Dr. Soboloff said. Dr. Soboloff uh, was, you know, paramount in our culture as an elder, a philosopher, a reverend. And he always said, when we know who we are, we don't hurt ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what a prophetic thing, because it's really true. And it goes back to the root of colonization. It goes back to the traumas. And it's who we are today, right? And so when you know who you are, to me, what that means is you're in the culture, you live your cultural values. And, you know, that's what's the journey for me. That's that path. I'm really... uh, you know, it's hard to talk about for some, and some might be like, oh, he's really spilling the tea and giving everybody the dirt on him. I, I don't care. Like, my job title and all those things are important to me, but honesty and truth is more important to me. And so I'm going to talk about who I am in a meaningful way because that's how I'm going to stay in recovery and not go back. Right. You know, what keeps you... I guess, accountable. The main things that keep me accountable is everything that I've done in the past. I try to do the exact opposite and find ways that I can improve myself. So, for instance, living in Juneau, there's a lot of people that once they recover, a lot of the times they will not do it where they got in trouble. You know what I mean? Like, it's too hard for them. They're always like, well, I know people there. They're going to have drugs there. I can see it right there. And I was, my whole thinking is when I was in jail and I had my epiphany, my whole thing is if I can't make it where I got in trouble and improve myself, then I'm not going to make it anywhere else. So my whole thing was I need to do all this stuff. And I had tried to be one of the people that just barely make it by. And that's when Talia was like, what are you doing? 
Why are you working there? I was working at the Alaskan Hotel as a front desk person. And she was like, "What? Are you, come in and see me. Let's go over your resume. Let's go over your resume. So I went to was going to Second Chance. So real quick, Talia um, is Talia Ames, who's this, this beautiful soul who's kind of dedicated her life to helping people through recovery and through some of these issues, right? Yeah. And she um, was running the Second Chance program. And so I went in there to see her. We beefed up my resume. And then she was like, okay, well, let's see if we can get you into the job program, the work experience. And she was like, let's find you a job. And then I kind of was like, hmm, is she really going to help me? Is she really going to help me? Because I'm a person that has four felonies. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are three drug felonies and then one aiding and abetting felony. And I was like, nobody's going to hire me. Even if I have a degree, nobody's going to hire me. She was like, well, you never know. We have to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. And then I saw that there was a receptionist position open at um, Quinkett and Hyder Regional Housing Authority. And she was like, well, let's get you in there. And so I did 90 days in there. And then at the end of the 90 days, I was like, okay, I'm going to start transitioning all of my stuff over to um, one of my other friends. And then they were like, wait a minute, what do you mean? And I was like, my 90 days is almost up. I'm going to be done. And so that right there was telling me, I was like, yep, I'm, I still know what I'm doing. I can still do all of this stuff. It helps me function better. And then knowing that I help people is my biggest thing because as Klingit people, as we all know, you know, probably native people, nobody likes to ask for help. Yeah. It's a big prideful thing. And I always go back and reflect on my own self and be like, Oh yeah, that was a time when I didn't want to ask for help, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to turn around and be like, Hey, can you help me with this? I don't know how many times I've been like, Dave, Dave, I need your help. <laughs> Dave, what's this? But it's been, one of the most gratifying things for me is because I see all of the people that I was in trouble with, I see them sober. And I'm like, great, look at, see, power in numbers. Here we come. Yeah. We're pulling people out. Well, and I, I, I believe, you know, I, in every facet of my life, whether it's my job, creating opportunities, economic development, all that, people like success. Yeah. And in recovery, you know, I think we kind of glom onto each other in, you know, when we're going through that in success, because, you know, it, it's that I feel stronger and safer when I'm standing with somebody else who went through the same thing and they're successful. Mm -hmm. I feel a little more self-assured with them. And, you know, quite honestly, I felt really vulnerable around people who had never gone through addiction. Because in my mind, in, I always thought they were judging me, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So, like, Dave, what holds you accountable? <clears throat> well, at first, it was jail. <laughs> I didn't right. want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> I had enough of that, right? Yeah. But, um, it, it, and, and and boy, you know, it's a, it's a really good leverage to have in your life. But um, today, today that, that, that evolved into something else. Yeah. Um, uh, as you guys probably know, I I, I went to jail uh, for a uh, for a gentleman that I got into a fight with downtown. He ended, ended up dying, and uh, uh, it was one of the roughest moments I had to ever go through. I imagine uh, I couldn't imagine uh, what it was like for those uh, loved ones who had uh, lost this gentleman that I got into a fight with. You know, being all reckless. 
but um you know I, I i owned it and you know was kind of ready for whatever came my way and uh i'm just fortunate blessed really you know to have come out of that situation um uh with with only six years three years suspended three years three years to do i got uh a buttload of, of, of probation but you know hey I'll, I'll take it you know um and so in the beginning yeah it was it was prison or staying out of prison but then it started to evolve into something else and uh, uh today it's i'm looking at the people who are looking at me when i was uh the participant manager at one of uh one of clinton and Hyder's um you know transitional houses or recovery i like to say recovery because it's not a transition um I was talking to my sponsor on the phone, you know, on video chat, and he was looking around the house that I just acquired, and he goes, hey, Dave, looks pretty crappy in there. <laughs> and this is the guy that tries to keep me accountable. And uh, I I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I just, you know, I gave him a couple of excuses. He says, listen, you know, I'm not here to judge you, homie. I'm just saying that the, the people that are looking up to you are seeing the example right there. <clears throat> you know? Uh, you know, I just got to say, not to interrupt, but I like that. No. Like that accountability, the, you know, just saying, hey, people are watching you. Mm -hmm. exactly. You know, and that's something I've had to deal with a lot is, you know, I, I, I was with some friends earlier from back home on Prince of Wales and they were saying how the kids look up to me. And and I used to cringe when I would hear that because I felt like, oh, God, why would they look up to me? You know, all the things I've done and who I've been. But, you know, they see that, but that's not who they see me as. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're working with these folks. You know, you got to kind of dress for the part sometimes, as they say. And that's like how you live. It's how you present yourself. If you care about the work, then you kind of do that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it made all the sense in the world afterwards, <laughs> after right. I was done feeling sorry right. for myself or getting defensive <laughs> right. under those circumstances. But he was right. You know, he's right. People are watching, especially someone like me who has uh, gotten out. Oh, is he going to slip up? Uh, is he, you know, is he, is he really full of it or is he, is he uh, somebody who's genuine? And uh, if I bring to the table consistency on a daily basis, you know, um, not just, you know, uh, being a fake about it, um, these guys are going to fall into place. They're going to look at me and say, this is the way to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if he could do it, then maybe I can do it. Yeah. And that makes me so happy. You know what I mean? Because hardly ever do you see men that are going to come clean and be like, hey, I was down that path. But a lot of the times, like when I was getting in trouble, I was surrounded by men. I come from a big family, you know what I mean? And I always had my brothers, my cousins, everybody around, and nobody wanted to be accountable. And I was always the one that was like, oh, yeah, I did it. I'll be the first to tell you I did it. And I always believed that if I tell you that I did it, and I can hear my parents, you know what I mean? If yeah. you tell me you did it, you're not going to be in as much trouble as if I have to find out. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that a lot as a kid. I yeah. remember when I grew up in the village and 
you know, we'd have teachers that they weren't really from there, right? They would be visiting. We had these teachers and I was literally like in kindergarten and these teachers um, would leave for the summer and lock up their house. And my cousins put me through the window and opened the door and they were kind of ransacked the house. I was the youngest, like I was, I was put through cause I, they could put me through the window. I didn't want to go rob somebody's house. I didn't even understand the concept at that age. And anyways, I was like the only kid who got caught, who was really held accountable. Like my parents, when the teachers came back, I had to go do chores and do all these things. And I just remember my parents were like, if, you know, if you're honest and you don't lie, you're going to be in less trouble, mm -hmm. but she didn't really feel like it. Cause I was the one who got in trouble. But, you know, the teachers forgave me. They, you know, treated me a little different, I think, because I took accountability. But, you know, I remember, you know, my parents always saying, if you lie, nobody's going to trust you. Mm -hmm. And if they don't trust you, they don't want nothing to do with you. And and I don't know. I just never wanted to feel that way from, yeah. you know, growing up in a village of elders I, I say this all the time that when I was four, my best friend was 84. You know, I hung out with elders and I, I their approval mattered. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you know, so accountability has always been important to me. I'd rather just own up. Plus, I don't understand who people who lie, you know, you can't even keep track of all these lies. Right. Like, well, how do you do it? I just, you know, with me, even in my work and my job, if you screw up, just own it and let's move on. Mm -hmm. Again, I go back to Elder Stan Marsden when he was carving his totem pole. People would come in and he said, "Everybody here has to pick up a tool and carve." People were afraid. Look, I don't know what I'm doing. What if I mess up? He goes, "That's fine. We'll just sign your name to it." You know, and <laughs> yeah, that's good, right? And elders just have such a way. And you know. Part of recovery that's really hard, too, is, and Jenny, you said something that kind of surprised me and I like a lot, and that's that you you weren't going to not go back to where you're from. That, you know, you're if you can't make it there, you can't make it anywhere. Yeah. And I like that. You know, for me, when I, when I was in recovery, I, I was still in my village. I didn't leave, but I lost friends, mm -hmm. you know, and people, you know, their attitude is, oh, now you think you're better than us. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, it was because I knew I wasn't better that I couldn't hang out with them because mm -hmm. I knew, man, if I hang out with them, I'm I'm going to start using it again. You know, did how was it with your support, your, your family, your friends with you guys? Did they criticize? Did they hold you up? Did they put you down? Mix? Did you want to go? Right. My family... My parents were in denial for a long time when I was getting in trouble. My whole family was like, <clears throat> you didn't use. None of us ever saw you use. And I was such a quiet person about it that nobody even really knew. Like they always thought I was getting it for someone else or giving it to somebody else. Or, And it wasn't until um, I was in jail and somebody that was in the woman in the girls dorm with us had told the COs and we all got you aid and mine came back positive and my brother my brother was in there with me and he was like 
you got a write-up for what? And he said, and I was like, a dirty UA, because we had to sit next to each other. And he was like, not wanting to hear it. And so once I screamed it, everybody turned around and looked at me. And I was like, well, and it's out there now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. And so they were like, we didn't even think that you used. It was like maybe a handful, maybe a handful that knew that I was using. And it was one of the hardest things because then not only did I have to convince everybody else that I was an addict, like my PO, you know what I mean? The treatment center, because I was, I felt like at the time that I was the only one that was trying to get into treatment, but they wouldn't take me because none of my UAs came back dirty. None of them, you know what I mean? They're like, you're in this for business. You don't, you're not an addict. I was like, oh no, I'm an addict. I'm, I'm just good at hiding it for everything else. And it comes from that trauma. You know what I mean? I put this mask on and put this mask on and then put this one over those two. Like nobody ever knew. And so then once we got to treatment, I ended up there with, with my brother, with Jordan. We ended up there at the same time. And he was like, sister, what are you doing here? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm in treatment. It was so, and I had felt bad at the time because being one of my brothers, he couldn't concentrate on getting sober because his sister was there. Mm -hmm. And while I was in treatment, all the men that were there, they were like, Jenny, come on, you want to come do this? You want to come do that? And my brother's like, stop, don't talk to my sister. So like I had to sit in the corner, I had to sit away from everybody. He sat in front of me. You know what I mean? He was a typical brother. And so when we got out of treatment and came back to Juno, I felt bad. I was like, I'm really sorry that I that you didn't get the treatment that you needed from the treatment center we just went to. We went to Bill Brady Healing Center. Mm. And I was like, you couldn't get your full advantage because your sister's there and you're trying to keep everybody away from her. And at the same time, like I'm fully getting it because he kept everybody away and nobody was talking to me. And it held me like at this one spot that I was like, okay, now that I know all of this stuff, like sobering up with other people, my brother, for instance, when we were there, like I saw all the little things that would trigger somebody. You know what I mean? That didn't trigger me, but it also opened my mind and my eyes to other people. Like he couldn't even, he couldn't even take the big spoons that were there. He was like, these are triggering. He was telling the people there. And I was like, I would have never thought of that. Uh, triggers are real. Yeah. yeah. In, in my recovery, uh, this is not a pretty picture at all. Just, you know, I, I don't know what you call it. Trigger warning to the listeners. Cause this, this might bother you. If I saw a tinfoil, if I saw a glass, glass bulbs, the, the things that I used, it would trigger me. My mouth would water. Mm -hmm. It would, my brain would be high for a second. It was all those things. And I had to work really hard because those are all things in your everyday life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't look at pins the same way, you know, and. For those of you who don't know, you you probably won't understand. But if you know, you know what I'm talking about right mm -hmm. now. Those things to this day trigger me. I, I've been clean for 19 years. Um, this pandemic was really hard. It was like the first time, like uh, it was a little over uh, two years ago, right in the beginning of it, where for the first time in my life, or first time in my life, no, first time in like a long time, I thought of like for a split second, it crossed my mind. 
And I was like, whoa, what the hell? Like kind of do the face slap and be like, you are not throwing it all away now, buddy. Mm -hmm. You know? So, yeah, it's interesting, you know, listening to to your story because things resonate. Um, Well, it's not just psychological, right? Like all your physical responses mm -hmm. can can really make that trigger almost as real as a, a is a high yeah like <clears throat> you know I, i'd seen a, a needle once and i used to inject and uh i got the sensation in my mouth mm -hmm. i started breathing and <laughs> smelling the stuff that i mm -hmm. it's really i mean it's real psychological don't get me wrong but that those physical uh responses also just make things so so incredibly real well through through recovery and my counseling mm -hmm. i found out it's an actual chemical response in your body mm -hmm. your brain our brains have been rewired and it's why so many people fail is when they're triggered you get high you know you get that sensation and you know what, what do you do i i was always chasing the high so it makes you want to go chase the high. Mm -hmm. And I just had to remove myself from any situations. Unlike Jenny, I couldn't be around people that I did it with. Not not for me thinking I was better than them at all. But knowing that I'm going to succumb. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was hard. And now, you know, I'm around, I can be around people now that I had had that shared history with. You know, but it, it's not the same. I mean, those those relationships will never be the same. And I'm, I'm sad for that. You know, I've lost li lifelong friends, family. But I also am alive. I'm healthy. I, I'm contributing, I think, in a good way. And I would never go back, you know, not willingly. Yeah. <laughs> I still have uh, <clears throat> family members that are using uh, but they've always lifted me up, no matter if they were in their addiction or they're, you know, mm -hmm. or they were sober. Uh, there's there's a good amount of uh, uh, family members that are that are sober today, thank God. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know they're trudging along and they're making that making that uh, recovery road really happen for them. And I I really I really congratulate them because it's difficult. It's really hard. Um, but it, it it changes relationships, and that's really what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Is that my relationship not only to myself, but to people around me? You know, and my mother before she passed away was just an absolute miracle. Mm -hmm. um, I got to make my amends with her, and that was the most incredible experience I've ever had. Uh, if anybody has not done it, I highly suggest it. It's just the uh, most healing things that you can ever do is uh, make amends to somebody that you you know broken their heart you know mm -hmm. by using and, and carrying on and so uh you know uh the way that changed in our relationship is that uh she started giving me tasks to do that she would never ever trust me with you know <laughs> before she passed away she asked me she said son i want you to take care of your family i want you to take care of your brother you know she knows that not, not all of them are you know on track and so uh you know i'm there for them i don't enable them you know i certainly you know hold them accountable but 
uh, um, you know, when when they need me, I'm there. And and I can do that today because I'm sober. I can do that today today because I'm in recovery. You know, I, I think that's the gift of recovery is those relationships. You know, you talked about the family being there for you. Um, one of my closest relationships was my cousin Nick, and I called him my brother. He he didn't get mad at me when I separated and, and started getting clean. He he would let me know he was proud of me. He's like he always told me, man, you're you're meant for so much more. You gotta do this, you gotta you have it in you to do this. And you know, I, I never saw that myself. I didn't, you know, but his his and I's relationship was still up and down, right? Even though he was supportive of my um getting off and and cleaning up. He he went through the same battle and uh I carry with me a lot of guilt over the fact that our very last words to each other were pretty tough. He he had gotten clean and uh he had to go to jail. He uh got in a fight, him and, a, and another cousin got jumped, and, and our cousin was getting the, the crap kicked out of him, and my cousin Nick, you know, he uh, pulled out a knife and defended. But, you know, that's how it looks when you're high. And those decisions cost him, and he, he went to jail. And he got out, he, straight, he was on the straight and narrow. He was actually in Juneau, and he was in in a halfway house here, transitional house, and was doing pretty good. And then he he fell and and uh, he he'd reached out to me. And this is the one regret I always have is I was like, you know, you're you're being a real selfish prick. I said, why don't you think of others besides yourself? Knowing all I'd been through, all the things I had gone through, that's what I chose to say to him. And about three days later, he overdosed on heroin. You know, he had been clean so long, and then he went back to using that to level he had when he quit, mm -hmm. and it killed mm -hmm. him. Um, I've never blamed myself for his overdose, and and nor should I, but I I will always carry with me the last words to somebody I cared about most in life were pretty damn harsh. So now if you know me, it can, it can be kind of weird and off-putting, but if you're in my life and I care about you, I tell you. And I will tell you I love you. Because I, I I just I can't ever have my last words to somebody I care about mm -hmm. be that. And so I realized in that moment, rather than, you know, I was trying to hold them accountable, but I did it through shame, through putting them down, rather than trying to hold them up. So we're imperfect people. And so that's why I'm so passionate today, not about my, just my own recovery and, you know, but also let's lift people up who are going through this, you know, mm -hmm. again, as I said earlier, as Cheryl Fairbanks says, so impactful to me, be hard on the issue, not the person. Mm -hmm. Cause I can't carry that regret ever again, you know, not with another loved one. Um, you know, and we have those experiences. We're not always our best selves. And one of the things I've learned that I try to spread is, look, nobody chooses to be an addict. We're doing it because we're covering up something. Mm -hmm. We're 
trying to numb some kind of pain or something, whatever that is. And, you know, for us that are indigenous, you know, we can really pretty easily start pulling back the layers and it's just trauma, mm -hmm. it's historic trauma. But, you know, what we don't do is give ourselves the grace and time to love ourselves, forgive ourselves. You know, in recovery, you, it's all like about forgiveness and learning to forgive other people. And my firm belief, just like they, you know, they always say you can't help others if you don't help yourself. You cannot love others if you don't love yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about that for you folks, because for me, I couldn't even say I liked myself. And I remember a counseling session one time and that she held up a mirror and said, can you tell yourself you love yourself? And I was like, yeah, you know, kind of like, duh. And she gave me the mirror and I went to do it and I couldn't. And then I, I lashed out at her. I was like, this is stupid. Like I threw the mirror down on her chair and I was like, this is so dumb. This is, this is nothing. Okay. But it really came down. I couldn't even say I love myself. And, you know, through recovery, I've learned to like myself, to be proud of myself, to acknowledge my successes and now love myself. And anybody who knows me also knows packed onto addiction has been other addictions, food and whatever it takes to cover up those feelings. You know, I'm proud to say today I'm half the man I used to be. Mm. And, you know, people are like, what diet are you on? I'm like, I'm not on a diet. I've learned to love myself. And with that comes healing. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's that's powerful. That's a powerful statement. Uh, for me, I had to fake it for a little while until I made, made it, you know. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know how to love myself. I had I had no idea what, what where where that would come from because it certainly wasn't displayed in my own family. Yeah. And so, but I did good to get around a, a group of people who who, who loved themselves, and then you know got that from somebody who loved themselves, and then you know and on and on, and, and that's what it what what it meant to to for, for one one uh, drunk or one addict helping another stay sober is. The true act of love that you're talking about uh, is the ability to hold somebody up when they're when they're down. Uh, you know, to be a phone call away, uh, to be you know just a, a reach away uh, from from you know coming to your rescue, or not just coming to your rescue, but just lending an ear whenever you need. And can can you tell me a little bit about the fake it till you make it? I've adopted that mantra in my past too, but I'm I'm curious what that means for you. What what did that mean? Well, uh, the fake it till you make it was uh, uh, like in the very beginning of my recovery, not this time, but from from the very start when 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 uh, um, uh, the people around me who were in recovery were planting seeds. <laughs> uh, I didn't know what that was about. And quite frankly, it was counterintuitive to who I was as a person. You know, I was a scumbag. I'll just throw it out there. You know, um, I mean, my intentions were well, but the way I behaved was an absolute, you know, not, not, nothing short of somebody who was just, just an ass. And so uh, I didn't see those qualities in my family growing up. I inherited a, a buttload of, 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 of uh, uh, dysfunction 
and, and, and violence and stuff like that. So I didn't know where to refer that, you know, from. And so, uh, but people told me, they said, you know, if you, if you do this, this, and this, then you'll get, you know, to those, to, to the place that you need to be in your recovery. And so uh, I didn't believe it, but I practiced it. And it was really the work that, that, that got me to the place where I started believing and understanding that the principles of, of staying sober uh, um, is, you know, it's believable and it works. So the reason that resonated with me is I've always said that I, I always felt like uh, if you know the fable about the emperor who, who wore no clothes, you know, I always felt like I was the emperor, right? Like one day everybody's going to figure out I'm full of shit. They're going to figure out I'm naked. Like, I, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> and so that was my kind of version of fake it till you make it. Cause I just, I'm going to keep going forward, but one day everybody's going to figure out I'm a big phony and, and a dummy and I don't know what I'm doing. You know, even though that wasn't true. I mean, that was my perception of myself. Yeah, so. Our own mindset. Yeah. Yeah. My whole fake it till you make it was uh, mainly for probation. If I go out and get a job, a good job, they'll leave me alone. If I go out and do these meetings, they'll leave me alone. If I find a sponsor, they'll leave me alone. And it was always until, okay, I'm just going to do enough to get by. And then once I would start reading it and really getting all the steps that I was going through, I'd be like, holy shit, I already did it. <laughs> and it was it was always something that would surprise me at the end when I because I had completed the 12 steps at least three times. Um, so there are 36 steps. Right. <laughs> and and counting. <laughs> but um, so when we went through the 12 step program and did all 12 of those steps and then I went down to the well variety training down in California to learn how to do it with indigenous people it was completely different i was like you've got to be kidding me i didn't know there was another way because i'm going to admit that i'm not always open-minded because mm -hmm. if i learn something a certain way i'm going to do it a certain way i'm going to teach it a certain way and that's always been always been i'm going to walk forward five steps turn left walk 10 steps you know what I mean? I'm a very organized person. I'm a very like to the point. You sound like a clinkered auntie to me. <laughs> and then my whole thing too with with beating and learning traditional stuff. I know a little bit of the language. I can understand a little bit of the language, but what I was born to do was traditional song and dance and stories. So when it came time to beating, I was like, "You want me to what? What?" And when I was going through my recovery steps, the first couple of steps, I would think of like beating a needle. You know what I mean? Like you have to hold the needle and then you have to thread it. And it would take me for freaking ever. I'm like, isn't there a simpler way to do this? All the time. Can't we do this a different way? And they're like, no, Jenny, you can't. And I'm such a Leo, you know what I mean? So when it comes time for people to be like, can you honestly see that you love yourself? And I'm like, I'm a Leo. I'm as vain as they come. I'm like, I will tell everybody I'm a Leo. I have a, I have a purse. I have a phone full of selfies and I'm like, nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. But when it came time for me to do it in front of a mirror with my therapist, I was like, I don't know if I can. So I would lay it 
face up on the table and I'd let it sit there for a little bit and then I'd just peek over. And I would do it up until I would hold it. And it probably took a couple of years because I had so many masks on for so yeah. many things. And it was something that I really wanted to do because I wanted, like you had said, I wanted my my foundation to be sturdy because I want it big enough that when I reach back and grab people out of that dark place, it's going to hold all of us. It's yeah. not just going to hold me. And I got sober with my brother. My brother was an IV user. He didn't start that way, but he ended up that way. I have a sister that is an IV drug user also. I was triggered all the time, which is tinfoil, because I smoked it. And that's why nobody could really tell, because it would affect me different than it would affect him. Yeah. And that that, that was me, too. I, you know, you kind of, I don't know what you call it, but we had like our clique, right, of mm -hmm. people who... And they all kind of switched to needles. I never could. I, I just didn't like needles. Mm -hmm. You know, people see all my tattoos and say, well, you don't like needles? Well, I was like, man, it is different. Let me yeah, tell you. Right. And um, so I, I think creator in that regard, because I think that might have been what made my recovery a little bit easier, too, is I think once you're IV, you it's know, hard. it's it's much harder. And, you know, Remember, my counselor telling me 6% of people on meth ever get clean. Mm -hmm. So give yourself that, you know, it, it, nothing's easier. But mm -hmm. I do think it was easier just because I, I, you know, smoked it. And again, trigger warning for, right. for the listeners, because this is it's gross. You know, it's dirty. It's bad. It's funny. People know me. I'm a germaphobe. Right. Yeah. Not I on. think one of the other trigger warnings was when we were in the halfway house and vaping was just becoming up. Oh, yeah. And there was people at the halfway oh. house that would come in and see <laughs> She would pull up and like she would take a big vape and then blow it out. And I was like, holy crap. I was like, you just triggered the whole campus. I told her because it was such... I'm like, why are you doing that? Here? I'm so anti-vape. And I think that's the, the where it comes from. Yeah. Because I'm like, Jesus, you're vaping. I'm like, to me, that looks just. Yeah, exactly. And, and then, it's right. like, you know, they do it and it smells like cotton candy. Right. And I'm like, oh, if meth tastes like cotton right. candy, I might never quit. Right? Fruity Pebble. Yeah. Yeah. And then she would be like, do you want to try it? No, get out of here with that. I was always like, you can't. Yeah, you can't just come on campus like a good portion of us that were in jail were addicts. You know what I mean? Yeah. And every time that I went to jail, I would learn something more, how to do something better. And so when I would get in trouble, I had never gotten caught with the police with any drugs on myself, just controlled buys. And that was my biggest, like my biggest thing that I fight for now. And I was like, quit giving them deals. I didn't get a deal. You know what I mean? I yeah. just did 13 years stint in jail for drugs. I'm like, but I see everybody else that will get six months and then three years probation or whatever. And then, you know what I mean? I was like, I didn't even get caught with anything. It, it doesn't feel like there's really any accountability there. Yeah. Well, yeah. and then they trust somebody that's still actively using you know, I'm so thankful in my life that I never got in trouble with the law, you know, and Jenny, you were talking earlier about how your family didn't believe that you were even using because, mm -hmm. you know, that was me, 
nobody ever, you know, saw me. They didn't, you know, I was a real chameleon about it. So nobody knew it. And I, in my village, I was the mayor, I was a tribal president, I was, you know, every board and, and people, you know, I was held up on our island in all the different communities as a leader. Um, so they just, you know, when I came out and said, hey, and I've been, they were like, no, you're not, you know, but right. it, it was true. Stereotyping. And I, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I was real honest about it and I had people hold me up and one of the things that really hurts me today is I've seen people that actually held me up put others down. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't understand that. And uh, I get really confused by it. Like, we have to be consistent in it. And, you know, there, there's a danger. I'm doing this podcast. And, you know, like I said, I'm this is separate from what I do for a living. Try to keep that separate. You guys have referred to the tribe a bunch of times. I'm the president of the tribe. This year alone, I've been to the White House twice. I just got called yesterday to go back to the White House in a couple of weeks. I'm yeah. like, I want to go. So awesome. <laughs> I'm like, I want to go touch stuff. <laughs> I just want to touch stuff in the White House. It's awesome. It, it is. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm from Kissan, you know, a community of 80 people. And here I am at the White House, and I'm just looking around at all this opulence and all this stuff. And, and it's amazing to me. And I worry, like, you know, is somebody going to look down on me now because I'm so open about addiction and recovery? And that's been even threatened to me before, you know? And I'm like, I'm so in who I am. And that even like, I'm like, you know what? I've hit bottom. There's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in control of my destiny right. as much as I can be as an elected person. But at the same time, I'm at a place in my life that I know if it was all gone tomorrow, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've survived all the worst things I tried to do to myself. Right. N- nobody else can. So I hope when people look at the two of you, they see what I see because I'm just so effing proud. And, you know, we don't hang out. We don't really know each other in that way. But I pay attention. I watch. I You know, I see who's doing what. Like, Jenny, you're a machine, man. It's like this, that, you're doing another event. I'm like, you're kind of like, there's a gal who runs our elders program. And I just say yes, because I'm like, God, I'm not going to argue with her. You know, she's going to, so, okay, Ann, whatever you want, Ann. And I I mean that in the most loving way, because she is such a gift to our elders. Mm But you remind me a lot of that. You just have that kind of put out this um, sheer force of will. You're going to get shit done. Mm-hmm. And I think you've been in a place enough as my guest that you're like, no, I'm not going to let anybody else put me in this place. I'm not going to be put in this place. I'm going to move us forward. Yeah. I-, I love that. Yeah. And it was the whole pandemic is the reason why I wanted to do so much stuff in recovery. Yeah. And if it wasn't for my supervisor to be like, you can't do everything. We have a budget. And I'm like, okay, okay. All right, a budget. I, I know, like in my office, you know, it seems like it's probably not this often, but it feels like every couple of weeks we get a request from <clears throat> somebody, <laughs> Jenny. It's- <laughs> and I'm like, how much money does she think I have in my <laughs> office? My, I, my chair is not lifted up by $100 bills yeah. here. But yeah, I'm joking, of course. But you know, you're yeah. you're trying to do a lot. Yeah. You know, and I and I love that because 
you're trying to lift people. I see it. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't talked to you. I haven't gotten like, this is our first time sitting down. I don't know your motivation. So I'm, I'm loving what I'm hearing. But, yeah. I, but you put it out there. I see it. You yeah, know. the pandemic was, I know that I had a hard time in the pandemic because not only was it triggering for drugs, but it was triggering for jail. You know what I mean? They're like, you have to stay home, work from home. So then I'm like wandering around. I'm like, you know what? This feels like jail. Like, unlike Dave in the jail, he could go at least go places when they were in the jail. If you're a woman inside Lemon Creek, there's days where you're locked down. You don't get to go anywhere. And you see the same 23 girls that are there picking on other girls. And there was times where I was like, just shut the fuck up. Just sit down and do something. And I would just get up and I would turn the TV off because I'd be so tired of hearing it blaring. Mm. And I'm like, you know what? I don't even care. Pick up a book. Do something productive. And it was always, once I started getting sober and once I started um, rewriting all of my, rewriting my path to go forward, I kept hearing things like, be the leader you're looking for be the change you want to see. You know what I mean? And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And so every morning I'm like, what can I do today? And I always just laugh because when I go into my supervision stuff, they're like, Jenny, (laughs) it always starts with that. I'm like, okay, let me sit down first. I got to figure out what I'm doing. But it's a lot of the times problems that I see happening before my supervision, I go in there and be like, look, I'm sorry that I contacted you so many times, but I needed an answer. And I said, and then I use my better judgment. And I tell her all the time, I'm like nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, I'm just going to tell you because I need to hear it out loud. Sometimes it doesn't need a response because I'll work through it. And that's when she's like, okay, can you send it in an email next time? I'm like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> that's one of my favorite things. I really could have just been an email. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm listening to you and Dave and I'm just feeling so um connected to you guys because it, it all resonates that you know i'm hearing it feels like you could be telling my own story in a way and and how you navigated it i uh, overshare i overshare all the time and in my life in my work everything and it's not because i like to hear my own voice i hate my own voice i need to because it's part of that recovery. Mm-hmm. It's part of like all that for me. So I sort of feel sorry for those in my life where if it's my work, you're going to hear about it all the time. If mm-hmm. it's a relationship, you're going to hear about it all the time. You know, my staff are joking right now about doing a dating real- reality show for the Prez. And I'm like, oh God. And it's like, because I overshare, but it's my process, right? Like I overshare um because it's my process it's it's how i work through things it's mm-hmm. how i you know and i thank uh god for the people in my life who put up with it and and, and not only put up with it but sometimes really help it along mm-hmm. you know i was just thinking uh about when you were talking about how we need to process this you know in a group setting with people who have like experiences uh and i kind of compared it with of being in Seattle and being alone and not having my family with me or not having people that were familiar 
And then suddenly you just run into somebody. You know, I, I ran into a friend down there and he just, you know, his heart went through his chest. He, he and I just embraced and, you know, I, I barely hung out with him when I was up here, but down there we were best friends, right? <laughs> That's the same thing. You know, uh, when two people get together and they connect in this way, because we have uh, put ourselves through some serious trauma, uh, the way we heal is we come together, you know, and uh, we support. We, yeah, we support. We tell each other our stories, you know, and that's how we connect. There's a bunch of people in a lot of different recovery settings that never hang out with each other. They never, they don't even, you know, they come from different backgrounds, they have different interests. But when they come together with that particular uh, uh, commonality, it just, it resonates and it's healing. I think it's got to be weird for those who aren't, and if they overhear it, because I don't know if this is just as as Quinkets and Hyde either type thing, but you know, we we've learned how to just kind of laugh and make fun of stuff. That I think if you're, you know, John Q. Public, non-native, not addict, and you hear us laughing and joking about some of the shit we've been through, they'd be kind of appalled. Right. But it's we laugh about mm -hmm. it. Right. Because you have to. It's and it's that shared experience. And it's like I've done some pretty stupid things to chase that high. And it usually involved putting my life in danger and uh, things that, you know, I'm a kind of a common sense, pragmatic guy. But to chase a high, you'll do some mm -hmm. dumb stuff, some crazy adventures and say i don't say right yeah. and on the slide yeah <laughs> right yeah i mean what what's your hope for you know going forward what, what do you see yourself with this i feel like if i can pull one person out of recovery even if it's just one it's a start the person that had pulled me and helped me out of my recovery was karen nelson mm. and it was just her believing in me, even when I was still, even if she knew I was still in active addiction, you know what I mean? She was still there. She showed up. And that's the example that I was going with, with my, be the example, be the leader that you're looking for is because I, I numerous times have thanked Kara and was like, thank you for opening up these doors to help get us clean. And I was like, and paving the way that we can become better people. And, you know, she's got Dan Sullivan and Bill, Bill Walker. You know what I mean? She's got them all on speed dial. And I was like, how do you get that? Like, <laughs> I'm like, that's what I want. I want to be able to be calling our legislators and be like, hey, this is what we need help with. And it's not just with addiction. You know what I mean? It comes with MMIW. It comes with sex trafficking. It comes with child abuse. Like, all of these things is things that I'm, like, dipping my toes in to right. be like, this is what I need to help with. This is so it wasn't just mental health and addiction and trauma. Like it stems into other things to try to help our people. Because I'm mean, like when, when I say our people, I don't just mean like our indigenous people. I mean the people that I was incarcerated with. Yeah. Because for 13 years that was my family. Yeah. Well, and you created it, it's a culture of itself, right? Mm -hmm. Like the word culture doesn't always mean indigenous. And, mm -hmm. You know, it's we we create a culture 
I I really am in love with what you just said because I, I preach this all the time. You know, I'm an elected leader, but I think everybody can be a leader. Mm-hmm. I really believe that. Um, I don't see myself above anybody or anything. In fact, quite a bit not. Right. I, I see myself um, as a as a service leader, but I. That's something I share your belief in. I want to see people be that leader because, you know, you mentioned murder, missing Indigenous women. You you mentioned, you know, sex trafficking, child abuse, domestic violence, you know, violence against women. Mm-hmm. All these things need leaders. Yeah. We need people who are going to put themselves forward and say, we got to change this. Going to say, we're going to throw light in those dark corners mm-hmm. that this shit can't hide in anymore. Yeah. Cause it hides real well. And some of those demons wear pretty masks and there are people you think are good people and yeah. you look up to. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, hurt people, hurt people, mm-hmm. you know, you hear that a lot. And I, I was at a um, celebration for some women who went through this program about a week ago, and they were saying that about how hurt people hurt people. And it really, I was sitting there looking at these beautiful people celebrating and sharing and holding each other up. And I was like, the one we need to adopt is healed people, heal people, mm-hmm. right? It's that shared lived experience. It's when I listen to you, Jenny and Dave talk, it resonates with me because it's that shared experience. Like we didn't go through it together, but man, we might as well have. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I love that. Like I see you in that chair as a leader. Thank you. you. Know, I, I just, um, I'll get out of your way and <laughs> let you lead. But, you know, however I can support that um, professionally or as a friend or as a person just saying, go Jenny, you know, add me to that list of people. Right. Um, <clears throat> I hope to never lose the foundation of what got me sober and kept me sober. Um, it's so important for me. Uh, when I hear you uh, talk about uh, a leader of, of service, that just that, that that's just so close to my heart. Um, well, all my life, I have you know uh, had let this this huge ego get in my way, and um, it was something that almost killed me, you know. And when I realized. When I realized uh, coming into recovery, just how essential it was for me to get out of my own way, and for me to you know listen to others who have done this and seen that there was a proven uh, system, uh, you know, I just I I, I got to maintain that that humility, that humbleness, you know, that keeps me sober. Um, from that flows just about really everything to be teachable to be open-minded to be willing uh, is 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 uh the ingredients you know that that really uh i mean encapsulate every part of my life mm-hmm. you know so um 
you know, those those are the, you know, the people who are looking for, you know, uh, the answer are the, the people who <laughs> didn't have the answer when they were beginning. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, just want to stay, stay humble. I feel like I had a lot of, I have, I have a lot of faith in the work that Dave and I do. You know what I mean? Because we've been incarcerated together and being able to go back in essentially and be like, hey, look, you've seen us in here. You've seen us in these yellows. Mm -hmm. You've seen us at our worst point. And now here we are. You know what I mean? Like instilling hope in other people and being the light to shine bright enough to lead the path for everybody else to come and follow. This has been such a powerful conversation. Honestly, in my desire to, to get opening the box of knowledge out there and started, this is what I hope for, to have inspiring conversations. And uh, before we close up, may I ask you guys one last question? Because it is a National Recovery Month. And, you know, we're all on our journey. We're all in different levels of that journey, whatever that might be in, in different places. How about that person that's still just there in addiction? What's what would you say? What do you say to them? What's your advice to them? You know, what do you say? My whole thing, and I do this every day, is I think about what I was like when I was an addict and what I was like and how I hid from everybody like the best type of addict, you know what I mean? How I hid everything from everybody. I kept everything close. And I think about the things that I needed the most. And the most I needed was somebody to listen. And so nine times out of 10, if I see somebody that's still in active addiction, I don't talk. Standing up, looking at them, I'm like, sit down, sit down by me. Let's sit right here. This looks comfy. And I am such a person that I want somebody to feel that comfort and the love and the hope that I'm like, sit right here. Let's talk about this. How can I help you today? What can I do that's going to help you have a better day? And if I can do one thing to make their day a little bit better, you know what I mean? Whether it be them coming to my work or me seeing them on the street. Like there's always those people that have the the knowledge of don't help those people. They're going to use it for drugs or alcohol. I'm like, you just, you know, because you've been in that place that if you don't help them, they're going to die. You know what I mean? You can't just quit using heroin. You can't just quit using morphine. You can't just stop drinking. Your body gets so used to that that it starts to shut down. And so I'm always a person that's going to hand people money. I'm always a person that's going to give people food. You know what I mean? I'm like, here, are you hungry? Here, you want this? There's been a lot of times, like, even after the events that I do, we take it downtown and hand it out to the people down there. Even if it's the bottled water, you know what I mean? And then if we can't find enough people, then we take it to the glory hall and give it to the people there. And I've been there a few times to just go and talk with people. Hey, how's it going in here? What can I help you guys with? You know what I mean? And so it's been one of the tough journeys, but at the same time, it's 
exactly, I look for exactly what I needed help with when I was in that state, which helps me move forward. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, there was this one instance when my, I was just a kid, I was only about 12 years old. There was this one guy that was just really drunk and he staggered across the street and over to the channel apartments that's right across the street from, from the EP or the uh, Andrew Hope building. And uh, she, uh, I said, what's wrong with him? She says, she says, oh, he's, he's sick, honey. He's, you know, he's got a, he's got a, got a bad alcoholism problem. And, and, uh, and she says, but you know what? I see him every now and again. And he sobers up and he cleans up and he does so really good and he falls off again. But then he goes back and cleans himself up and he's and she said and, and, and the takeaway on that is that you know never give up. You know, she said one of these days you watch and see he's gonna he's going to uh find his way. And uh I don't know if he ever did, you know. Uh it's a treacherous, baffling disease. Uh, that takes uh, most of its users, and um, but <clears throat> for those who are out there who are still struggling, the thing that really helped me is the idea that to never give up. You know, to keep coming back, to uh, 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 to, to to not you know not not throwing a towel, you know, mm -hmm. in a boxing. Yeah. analogy you know just keep going just keep going keep coming back keep you know keep that that hope burning inside your mind and I, it may it may be really small it may be really fragile but but if you have that glimmer of hope you know then you always have some something to look, look forward to and, and to uh, uh you know burn brighter you know as you go mm -hmm. so my whole thing too is i hand out my my cell phone number because I'm like, addiction doesn't know business hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? And your deepest, darkest times is when you're at home, at nighttime, nobody's around, 3 o'clock no. a.m. You know what I mean? I'm like, addiction doesn't know business hours. They're not going to be like, okay. And I I talked about this many a times with the opening of um, Rainforest. Because there was like a lot of the time it's going to be in the late evening, early morning that somebody's going to need help. And it was always during that time frame that you are at your darkest point, you know what I mean? Where you're at your most vulnerable state. And I'm always like, hey, if you need help, call me. My phone's always on. Awesome. You, you know, I always think, you know, every journey starts with the first step. And sometimes you got to take that first step several times, you know, and it's it's not easy. But just take that step. Um, I'm sure, you know, I, I kind of heard it in both of you. you. You didn't start the first step and then it was just a clear path, right? Yeah. Success wasn't immediate. I I think I I attempted to quit a dozen times, you know, um, I thank God for my dad who one day called me out and he said, you know, I didn't know he knew, you know, and he just said, how long you been on this shit? And it caught me off guard. Right. And I think that was the time where it really started to take hold in me. I was like, I, I don't want to be this. 
it goes back to that time when I was a kid and used to go through the window, right? I don't want to be looked at that way by the people. I love my parents who I'm blessed with pretty amazing parents who have held me up and loved me and stood by me. I didn't want to let them down. But the truth of the matter is I didn't want to let myself down. And I didn't know how to say that or, or even express that. Um, if I have somebody who's talking and they're they're in addiction real heavy and they want out, I'm, I'm just like, take that step. Give yourself the grace to fall. Pick yourself up and take the next step. That's what it takes. And, and reach out and talk to people. You you can lie. You you can pretend it's not happening. That always stalls out the, that step. Mm-hmm. So just be honest and take the step. Jenny, Dave, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining us today and sharing. My hope is this lifts people up, that this doesn't make people feel bad or or this or that. I can tell you today you've lifted my heart so much. Um, yeah, I feel like uh, I learned so much about both of you today. Hopefully folks learned something about all of us. You know, it is National Recovery Month and, you know, Sam and I will work to uh, Sam's our engineer and he's been pretty quiet this this time. But we're, we're going to draw more and more of Sam out into these conversations. But you know, in our notes on uh, iTunes and Spotify, I want to, sh- we'll share some where you can reach out for help. You know, um, it takes that first time, just reach out, tell somebody you want to be, you know, doing something better. Absolutely. Um, so with that, I just want to, um, yeah, close us out in a good way and, and lift you all up. Good uh, uh, my heart's soaring right now. I'm going to be indebted to both of you for this. And I hope our uh, listening audience uh, feels the same way. And if you have somebody who needs help, like I said, you know, Cheryl Fairbanks says, be hard on the issue, not the person. And if that person is you, if you need that help, don't be hard on yourself. Just, just do it. Anyways, thank you all for tuning in and until next time.